Amen. 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 All right, you guys. Well, God bless you. Let's stand this morning as Scott comes up and uh, we open up to the reading of the word from Nehemiah chapter one, verse four. And um, so I don't know, Scott, do you want us to read it with you or would you like to read it to us? How would you like to do that? I'll read it to you guys, but it'd be good for us to stand. So we can go ahead and put that up. uh, Nehemiah chapter one. And as we read this, I just want you to pay attention to the fact that and think about and consider your own prayer life, um, whatever that looks like. And I want you to consider this prayer. This is actually a prayer we're going to read. Um, and this is one of the most uh, extensive prayers in the Old Testament. And it's beautiful. It contains so much. But I just think it's a, it's a wonderful example of prayer in Scripture. So this is where we're going to start today as we talk about Scripture and prayer. Nehemiah's words. When I heard these words, I sat down and I wept, and I mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So what he, the words that he's heard is he has heard that Jerusalem is basically broken down, and the people are captive, and he's Jewish, He's living about 800 miles from Jerusalem, so he's heartbroken. He's a cupbearer to the king uh, that is kind of uh, in rule in the area that he lives in. So anyway, uh, and this is what he says, And I said, so he prays, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments... Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel, confessing the sins of the people of Israel. So he literally goes into confession for the whole nation, which is an invitation for all of us, the ability, the the opportunity for us to confess not only our own sins, but the sins of of people groups, including our own nation, our own region, whatever it might be, which we have sinned against you, both I and my family have sinned. So he owns that. It's beautiful. We've offended you deeply, failing to keep your commandments, your statutes, ordinances that you commanded your servant Moses. So he refers back to what we would understand as scripture, what he understood as the scripture, the ordinances, the commandments, the statutes. Nehemiah is referring back to that. That's what he, that's what, that's what he has handles on, okay? Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter, scatter you among the people. So that's a promise, not a good promise, but it's a promise. But if you return to me, another promise, and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are under the farthest skies, I will gather them from there and bring them to a place which I have chosen to establish my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. So, Lord, we pray that you would just speak to us through your word uh, and through our conversation and the remaining moments that we have together on this beautiful Sunday morning. Amen. Amen. You guys can go ahead and be seated. I wanted to read this because, um, first of all, it really contains what I want to talk to you about um, when it comes to scripture and prayer, 
the importance of those two things working together and how God uses that in our lives in a powerful and profound way. Uh, But part of the reason that I wanted to read this portion of Scripture, this prayer of Nehemiah, is simply that really the Bible is, is a book of prayers. The Bible is story after story, this interaction of people on a journey seeking God, which is what prayer is, trying to be attentive to God, trying to hear from God, and then their response to that and their failure at times in that. But I would contend that really when you talk about prayer in Scripture, the whole of Scripture is just, it is this interaction of prayer of a multitude of people. And we continue to write, the Apostle Paul says that our lives are written epistles, they're letters written for all people to see. So even now as we pray, as we seek God's word, as we seek God, the story of the gospel continues through your life and mine. God's will is continuously being done on earth. Now, when it comes, I, I, when it comes to this issue of um, prayer, I want, you to, I want to try to simplify this for you. How many of you like, it's that time of year where we start to, some of us start to have like campfires out in our yard or in our space. How many of you like to do that? Um, I like to do that. Uh, it's helpful for me. Uh, if you can think of prayer in Scripture as trying to build a fire, And what are the reasons that you build a fire? So um, I want to just go through a few quick things here, a few insights that if we could remember uh, in connection with Scripture and prayer. So uh, E.M. Bounds, who I think is one of the most brilliant uh, authors writing about prayer. If you don't have anything written by E.M. Bounds, if you want any book to read about prayer, I would encourage you to... uh, Kind of the staple book I would encourage you to get is just E.M. Bounds on prayer. Uh, 19th century saint just has incredible insights on prayer. But anyway, at one point, Bounds said this, said he or she who wants to learn to pray well must study God's word and store it in their memory or thought. So there's a reason for that. So as we look at Scripture and we look at the compilation of story and experience and prayer, and we look at this, this prayer, Nehemiah, for instance, we see that first of all, Scripture is a conversation starter. So think of it, going back to our fire analogy, Scripture provides kind of the kindling and the match for the fire. Scripture is the place to start. Without Scripture... We have no context to have a conversation because prayer, say this after me, prayer is conversation. Okay, so the way that you speak to God, you converse with God, that is prayer. The way that you communicate with God. So scripture is simply the place that we start. Um, In John chapter 5, it's interesting because the, the end of things is not scripture. And Jesus clarifies that, and that gets hard for some of us because we think it's just if I study enough Scripture, if I study enough Scripture, if I know enough Scripture, then all things will go well with me. That isn't the reality. The reality is, and we talk about this around here all the time, kind of ad nauseum at times, right? That the, the, uh, the Bible is not for 
information, although it can be for information, but we study the Bible, we read the Scripture for transformation. So when it comes to prayer, this is one of those places, and this is how Jesus put it. He's talking to the Pharisees. These guys, they know it all when it comes to the Scriptures. They have huge passages of the Old Testament memorized, and Jesus confronts them time and time again. But in John 5, 39 through 40, this is what he says. He says, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. Okay? These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So what Jesus is saying is that the scripture is absolutely critical. He's not saying the scripture is not critical, but he says what the scripture is really leading you to is me. The scripture isn't just leading you to some memorization of scripture. The scripture isn't just leading you to a bunch of rules and regulations. The scripture is there to lead us to Jesus. It's to lead us to the person of Christ. It's to lead us to getting to know Jesus. When you think about it in terms of when you first gave your life to Christ, if you've done that, uh, your life and the life of God, it was kind of a collision of two histories. Like, for instance, those of you that are married or you've been dating or whatever, Claire and I, it was a collision of two histories. Like, I knew of Claire. We went to high school together. We started dating our senior year. It was uh, October uh, of our senior year. We kind of ran with two different crowds. I knew of her. It reminds me of how my relationship with God was before I gave my life to Christ. I knew of God, right? But then there was that moment when we decided that we were going to go out on a date. And it was a collision of two histories. And it was like Claire's family, they, you know, they ate things like uh, kidneys for dinner. Not, not like, like, like kidneys, like highfalutin kidneys, right? Like our dogs, we fed our dogs kidneys. Claire's family had kidneys as like this delicacy. And then our family ate Wonder Bread. So it was this collision of, it was this collision of two histories. So it, it, we began this journey. Our first date, we laugh about it now. The conversation was so remarkable because honestly, I was a very shy person uh, in most settings. And I remember just blurting out stuff because I was just uncomfortable having a conversation with Claire. I didn't know anything about her. Started talking about problems in my family. I mean, it was unbelievable. We laugh now, and she says, I don't even know why I ever went out on a second date. She says, I think I, I was just curious to know if that stuff could get any more bizarre, the stuff that you were saying to me. But we went out. This last week, we had our 38th year anniversary. Yeah, how awesome is that? So it's been 38 years of studying one another. I remember years ago, I used to look at her, and I would say this to her. I'd say, you know, sometimes I look at you. And I think, who is this person that I married? Even though I had already been married to her for years. I just didn't know her. So you go on this journey of knowing. So when it comes to Scripture and Jesus, this is where the conversation starts. We read Scripture. We light the kindling. We light the match. We light the newspaper to start the fire at this place of Scripture. Because the point isn't the Scripture The point is beginning to to know who God is. It is this mixture. We start 
Uh, it, we start conversation, but it's based on what starts to be our knowledge of who Jesus is by reading the scripture. If you've never read the scripture before, for instance, I would encourage you to read perhaps the gospels and maybe the gospel of John, but any of the gospels, because that's such a great place to begin to know about who Jesus is. And it's from that place that you begin to be able to have conversation and then you experience God's character and God's values and God's desire. So we come to know God's will and desire by knowing God's word and by experiencing God's spirit and by having conversations, which is prayer. Now, secondly, so we've got, we've got the fire started, but you've got to maintain that fire, right? The fire has to continue. And how do we do that? Scripture not only helps start the conversation, but scripture is the fuel that continues the conversation. So think about this. You've got the kindling going. It's at this point that you begin to put in the split wood. You begin to add fuel to the fire to keep it going because your goal wasn't just to burn some kindling, waste some matches, and burn some newspaper. You want the fire to burn. So this is how Jesus puts it. He says, if you abide in me, some versions say if you remain in me, and my words, okay, so the scripture, my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you will bear much fruit and so you will be my disciples, right? So... When you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask for whatever the NIV says. You'll ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. I love, though, more appropriately is you will ask for whatever you desire. 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 Hmm. Did you ever pray... And you just ran out of things to say. Like you were, you were like, I'm going to pray for 20 minutes today. And you're like two minutes in. You've prayed for the weather. You've prayed that your boss doesn't yell at you. You pray that you get a pay raise, whatever it might be. And you're two minutes in and you've got 18 minutes to go and you have run out. The scripture becomes the fuel So what Jesus says is, as you know my word, you abide with it, you pay attention to my word, literally from that place, prayer is birthed in our lives. So all those other things, there's nothing wrong with that, and those are important pieces of our prayer life, right? Give us this day our daily bread. There's nothing, you should be praying for your career, should be praying for a provision in your life, but as you lean into the word, you abide with Jesus and the word, what starts to happen here, because this is such a a difficult scripture for so many, but I think it's just as clear as can be. What is this that Jesus says that if you abide with him and his word abides in you, that you can have whatever you desire? Does that mean what it says, or is Jesus trying to trick us? It's exactly what it means. If you abide in me, you get to know me, you get to know my desire, you start to think the way that God thinks, you begin to see the world like 
God sees the world. You start to have conversations and you take on the heart of Jesus as you read and reflect on how Jesus was in Scripture, how God is in the Bible, and then what God is speaking to you through the Holy Spirit. And as you're looking at the world, which you know is not heaven, it's the world, you begin to take on the sacred desire of Christ. See, prayer and scripture connects me to Jesus and it connects me to sacred desire, to want, desire, wish for what Jesus desires. Bounds says it this way, he says, promises that are stored in our heart are to be the fuel from which prayer receives life and warmth. Just as coal, which has been stored in the earth, gives us comfort on stormy days and wintry nights, the word of God stored in our hearts becomes food by which prayer is nourished and made strong. So as I, as I abide with Jesus, as I immerse myself in God's word, as I commit myself to communicate, what really begins to happen is my life and your life begins to align with God's kingdom. When Jesus says, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that was not a statement that Jesus made because he didn't think it could happen. He said it because it's his intent. So Jesus' kingdom comes to earth. His will gets done when we let our kingdom go and we take on the kingdom of Christ. When I let the desires that I have that have nothing to do with the kingdom go, I take on the desires of God. So how do you find desire in another person? How do you recognize it? You recognize it through their words, through their ways. At one point, Eugene Peterson in the message version puts Matthew 11 this way. He says, Jesus' words, walk with me and learn from me. Just be with Jesus. When you're driving your car, when you're in your home with your family, when you're in your workplace, when you're out in your walking around life, walk with Jesus. Start to look at people like Jesus sees people, even people you have trouble with. See, Scripture connects us with God's character, God's values, God's desires, God's will, God's joy, God's hope. You will not learn this abiding desire by culture. You will not learn the desires of God simply from the opinions of men and women. You won't find it on a TV or radio talk show. 
You won't find it just by somebody, including ourselves, just blurting out our thoughts. This is no different than what happens in the Old Testament when Moses goes up to the mountain to meet with God and the people just get weary of the prayer service that Moses is having. So they decide it will be their opinion what God looks like. And they create a golden calf, golden calf living. You won't get what you pray for that way. Moses comes down, we know what happens, and Romans chapter 1 reflects what happened in the book of Exodus. Romans chapter 1 just says that people begin to create gods in their own image. What Jesus is saying is, as you pursue me, I'll give you fuel for your prayer life that will be sustainable. If you abide in me, you'll begin to see my will being done more and more regularly and clearly in your life, which leads to the last piece of this fire. It's not enough just to build the fire, is it? I mean, I love campfires. I love sitting out, especially on a night when the stars are out. But there's things that I'm after at a certain point. Like I love the solitude of it, perhaps, but I love the warmth of a fire. Some people love the s'mores that are done at a fire, the hot dogs, the benefits. See, Scripture provides handles for your conversation. The Scripture would call them benefits. David says in Psalm 103, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. He forgives me all of my iniquities and heals me of my diseases. And he continues on with all the benefits. See, Scripture provides handles. There's, there's two primary handles in Scripture that it, it connects with when it comes to prayer. It's kind of the benefit package of Scripture. You know, for some of you, when you went to work, you got a benefit package. You got that folder that you never read And hopefully somebody kind of at least briefed you on the benefits, right? Like you got that big thing and you don't even know where it is anymore. And it had all the benefits. And some of us, it's like that's what the scripture is. It's this benefit package and we just simply rely on kind of the human resource people, which would be a person like me, just to share with you some of the benefits that are in the package that you're living under. But how much better would it be to really know and take advantage of those things? It manifests in two different ways. The first one is the promise of Scripture. And I'm going to pull this together with this. Scripture breaks into two broad categories when it comes to response and prayer. Promises to believe. You know, God loves you. God directs you. God forgives you. God provides for you. God provides for me. God brings peace. He brings comfort. Those are promises. That's benefits to believe. When we pray, we can rest in the fact that the scripture, that Jesus has promised us those things, and we can pray in agreement with that. It's kind of your 401k and your insurance and vacation time package of the deal. Forget none of those benefits. How we respond in prayer, we just read it at the beginning of Psalm 103, praise the Lord. We respond a couple of different ways. First of all, we just thank God. Thank you for the benefits. Thank you for the benefits of the kingdom relationship I have with you. Thank you for the promises that are so true. They are yes and amen. I receive those. 
And then secondly, when it comes to the promises of God, we ask for more insight. Oh God, I am not fully understanding this promise, but I know it's in there. And I'm just asking you to fill me in. Help me. When it says that you heal me of all of my diseases, but I've got a disease that I'm praying for and I'm not being healed, help me. I need more insight. I need to know you in a deeper way. I need to live with you in a deeper way. I need to abide with you. And secondly, the Bible, the other part of this that the Bible, when it comes to benefits, the Bible speaks of there's exhortations to obey. These are the guardrails of Scripture. This is the guardrail of your benefit package. These are the standard operating procedures of your, of your benefit package. It's the conduct manual. As you read the scripture and you pray, you, you resolve to do certain things. It's the absentee policy or the drug policy that's in your human resource package. It's this part where Jesus says things like, remain in me. Love God, love one another, love justice, do good, extend mercy, forgive as you have been forgiven, live generously, give. When we pray, we're mindful of the exhortations and we pray, we, we let this manifest in our lives in two ways. We first of all say, God, I resolve as I pray around your scripture and the exhortations, I resolve to obey. I resolve, God, even when I have failed, and I repent of those things I failed of, but I resolve in prayer to obey your word. And then I simply ask for help. I just ask for help. God, sometimes these things are more than it seems like I can live into. So I ask for your help. Yeah, so we kind of want to have a conversation with you starting from here. So we want to um, actually give you an opportunity to take a look again at this cartoon that we used last week with the rhino. You guys remember this? So we said we don't see things as they are. We see them uh, as we are. And so this rhinoceros who is painting pictures of landscapes and and uh, houses and other animals, his horn shows up everywhere, right? And what we talked about is that wherever you go, wherever you go there you are, right? That the truth is you see the world through your own horn. You know, there's something present in your life that you see the rest of the world through. And, and so once we can understand that, we start to have uh, grace on ourselves and empathy for other people. Um, so, for instance, Scott, he sees the world through creating peace all the time. So whatever he has to do to get back to peace, that's what he does. And, and so he will, I mean, peace is always his horn. It's right there, okay? For me, I, um, my, my view comes through this effective personality style, and I always want to make sure we can get it done. Right, Carlotta? God bless you. Carlotta is my administrative associate, and she puts up with more crap from me than anybody in the church except for Scott. So I'm only kidding. Anyway, but she is very, and she has the horn of perfectionism if it gets in her way. Like she really crosses every T, dots every I, and Claire never dots any I or crosses any T. So she's right behind me dotting and crossing, right? So when, I, when you think of yourself, the way you look at the world, you might notice these Bible characters, these people in Scripture. 
So if you want to put those up for us, Tammy. You know, you might actually be like John the Baptist. Um, John the Baptist who wore uh, goat hair or camel hair, whatever that hair was, camel hair. And, um, and, you know, ate locusts and honey and yelled, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is drawing nigh, you know. And so that was quite a personality style, right? That was this person that was making sure everybody knew what was good. It's the way he saw the world. You got Martha. You know, Martha is working her head off. Good little two, you know, taking care of the, everything. And, you know, the only thing she didn't have down was um, forgiveness for her sister who didn't see the world that way and just wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus. And so she's like, why isn't, why isn't Martha helping me? What's up with Martha? Or how about Jacob? You know, maybe you see the world like Jacob. You know, Jacob, the Bible says God loved Jacob. And yet what happened was Jacob didn't believe that. He didn't believe he was worthy of that love. So he looked at the world in a way like, how do I get what I want any way I want it? And so threes many times can do that. You know, this personality style like Jacob, they can just get her done and then, you know, cross their T's later. Then there's Joseph, you know, the guy with the many colors coat that told his brothers, I had a dream that you were all going to worship me because I'm special. And that is uh, the style for. And then there's Mary. Remember Mary, the mother of Jesus? Um, What did the scripture say? What did she do in her heart? Yeah, she treasured. She pondered. She observed these things in her heart. She observed them, right? Then you've got Elijah. How about Elijah? You know, Elijah, one minute he's calling down fire, and the next minute he's running from Jezebel. So in one minute, his fear was causing him to move into problems. And the next minute, it's causing him to run away from problems. Or Solomon. Does anybody know exactly how many wives Solomon had? A lot. Too many. Two is too many. Anyway, um, that goes for husbands too, by the way. And, and so, you know, um, you, you know one, is, one is about all we could handle, isn't it? right? It's good enough. And so the, what you know about Solomon is Solomon just, he had this insatiable appetite. And although he was a person who was relating to God, he was set to be the what? The wisest, the wisest man. What kind of hope does that leave for the rest of us? He's got 600 wives, 300 concubines, whatever. Okay. And then, um, how about the Canaanite woman in Matthew chapter 15? She probably showed us some of that big eight energy. So you guys know we're talking from our book right now. So um, you don't have to read the book, but it, you know if you're interested, you'll get what we're talking about. This Canaanite woman, she wants something done, and she is bugging Jesus until she gets it. And even Jesus rebukes her, and she talks back and says, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs from underneath your table. She challenges Jesus. And so that's the way the Canaanite woman sees the world. And then there's Nehemiah. Um, what you didn't read from your passage, honey, that I, was that, but you said it, was that he was a cupbearer to the king. And so there was this way that this um, Nehemiah was a great leader, but was willing to be in the background and not always be the one that was shining out in front. And many times the ones who are willing to be in the background are the ones that God will bring to the front. So what we realize, friends, is the way you relate to Scripture. Can you go back to the picture? The way you relate to Scripture is the way you see things. 
So just notice that these days. Notice the way you want to tell yourself what God is saying to you. And it just might sound like your own voice. Right? It just might sound like your own way of seeing the world. Which is why you have so many different kinds of preaching style. I mean, there are people, they're going to get out there and they're going to give you the taste and see, try everything, do everything gospel. And then there's going to be the other ones that say, put a covering on your head and be silent in church. Okay. So just realize that based on who you are, that's how you look at God's words. It's true of all of us, friends. If we could actually confess, we can be healed. If we could start to say, okay, God, when I'm reading your words, I just might be reading my own words and getting what I want and doing it the way I want to do it and telling other people they're wrong based on the way I see the scripture. This is what's beautiful about all the versions of the Bible because you're going to have people like this wonderful Eugene Peterson who writes the message and you're going to have others that, you know, that just give you the the um, the uh, the version that is not a reader version, but is actually just this really closely, tightly wound version. And just know that all of them point to God. Because can we say this? I could let go of words so that I can come to the Word. So the word is God. All of the words of scripture, whatever translation you're using, are leading us to God. And so what we could say when we're reading the scripture is, do I have a bias when I'm reading scripture? Do I always want it to turn out that love is in front? Or do I want to turn, make sure that everybody knows what the law of God is? So let's just be honest about it for a minute. We have a way of seeing. And if we're developing, we're going to change. So we're going to read this wonderful scripture to you one more time today. And we're going to ask for uh, that we're able to listen to the voice of God and not just words on a page. That we actually are connecting to the one who loves us with an everlasting love. Here might be a little uh, assignment for you this week too if you're so inclined. If you take a look at Psalm 139... You're going to watch uh, David, who wrote the Psalms. Does anybody know what the Psalms were used for in the time of Jesus? Anybody know? It's a prayer book, right? Every little Jewish child was reading the Psalms every day to learn how to pray. That might be an assignment. Like, get in the book of Psalms and pray the Psalms. And what you're going to find out is the Psalms are crazy and good. They're And they're crazy good. I mean, one minute you have someone worshiping another minute you have somebody complaining lamenting and then there's these psalms called imprecatory psalms you guys know what those psalms are the ones where you want to call down fire on somebody you know david would say oh kill him god i hate him with a perfect hatred right i actually have a child in my life right now that is he says well you can pray for god to smite someone with a smitey smite it's in the scripture This is the way he's seeing the scripture right now, okay? And so what we realize is that all of those prayers are there so that we are led to the God who is the word. Because when we're honest about where we are in our lives, whether it's a time of thank you, God, or it's a time of, oh my God, or it's a time of, would you smite them with a smitey smite? 
that we realize that there's a way to pray and be close to God, to be close to God's own heart. If you read Psalm 139 as part of your assignment to grow close to God in scripture and prayer this week, you'll notice that it begins with, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And my soul knows that very well. Watch that whole beautiful first part of the scripture. Then it goes to, oh God, that you would slay these people. Kill them. Kill them, Jesus. doesn't say Jesus, but you know what I, you, you might say it. And then he comes back and says, search me, oh God, and know my heart. Try my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way. So do you see what happens when you pray? You can praise God. You can then tell God what you're really mad and sad and don't understand. And then you can say, and now God, would you search my heart and see if it's my horn in the lead? What do you want to say to me in your own words, God? Not in the way that I view. Not in the way that I see things, but the way that your voice longs to speak to me. So I'm just going to ask you to get comfortable because this is just going to be a three-minute prayer and then you'll get to go home. But we really felt during this series, we did not just want to talk about prayer. We wanted to pray. We wanted to give you ways to pray and to realize who you are and to let go of the way we see things so that we might hear the voice of the one who loves us. So maybe you'll close your eyes. Maybe you'll hold your hands open. Maybe you'll hold your hands up. And we'll go to the scripture. You can look at the words of the scripture. It would be fine, but it's also wonderful to just listen to the scripture. If you know that the scriptures were not even in print in their beginnings, but it was the voice of another person that was reading from those beautiful sacred scrolls. And so maybe there's a way for us to let go of our own way of seeing if we just let the words wash over us. So with heads raised or bowed, with hands folded or open, Just breathing in the grace that says that you're alive today as God's own child. Hear the words of Jesus. And let whatever word or phrase, whatever meaning and image, a prophetic word, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, let anything that shimmers for you come alive in you. Anything that has God's tender care in it for you today, allow this word to be yours. You can let go of the many words and allow what one word or few words belong to you from God's own heart. If you abide in me and my voice abides in you, anything you ask will come to pass for you. Your abundant growth and your faithfulness as my followers will bring glory to the Father. 
I have loved you as the Father has loved me. Abide in my love. Follow my example in obeying the Father's commandments and receiving his love. If you obey my commandments, you will stay in my love. One more time, I'll read it to you, and then you just hold whatever words, whatever God gives you, in silence with God. If you abide in me and my voice abides in you, anything you ask will come to pass for you. Your abundant growth and your faithfulness as my followers will bring glory to the Father. I have loved you as the Father has loved me. Abide in my love. Follow my example in obeying the Father's commandments and receiving his love. If you obey my commandments, you will stay in my love. a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Sing that together. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Stand together and we'll bless you. May God bless you with the voice of loving kindness in the morning. And cause you to know the way in which you should walk. May God deliver you from all evil as you take shelter in God's words. May God grant you satisfaction in your work and wisdom in your study, gladness in your celebration, and loyalty in your love. May you hear God's voice every evening and invite you.